welcome back to the Pint of Politics podcast. This is episode number 16 of the pod. Um, and I'm delighted to say uh, we're joined by another guest for you today. Uh, and today we are joined um, by human rights activist and academic. Uh, it is Natasha March. Thank you very much for, the join- for joining us, Natasha. How are you today? How are you doing, Connor? I'm good. Good morning. Yeah, it is. It's, I should point that out to our listeners. It is a morning. We normally we normally record in these episodes in like the afternoon, like late afternoon. So we normally have a pint, but uh, not not at ten a.m. on a on a Tuesday morning. I think I that's don't it. Know. Well, maybe it's a little bit rich, a little bit rich for my blood. I think so. Uh, yeah, just got gone for a bit of water. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so essentially, Natasha uh, is uh, joining us today. She's um, like I said, a, a prominent uh, activist. Um, she's been involved quite recently with quite a few sort of protest movements. So I know you went on some of the kill the bill protests, uh, recently, and, uh, obviously you've spoken, at, um, black lives matter protests as well. Uh, and you also were working on a, working on a PhD, which is obviously really interesting. So we'll get into that, uh, well, interesting, if not, uh, quite tiring from what you were telling me. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it'll be finished this year and it will it's my fifth year yeah there you go yeah. good good stuff cool so um yeah i wanted to sort of discuss uh firstly with you the sort of uh the, the black lives matter protest movement obviously we saw that uh you know quite quite prominently come to the the forefront of political discourse mm. last last year last summer was the i think the sort of uh the high point for for blm activism and mm. obviously you were quite uh, heavily involved in that I, you i listened to uh to your speech on that particular issue and it was uh it was really quite i'd encourage anyone to uh have a little listen to that if it's something you're interested in as well it's uh, on spotify um i'll put the links in the description for them because they were really really um quite impassioned and you could really uh your your own personal experience which you drew, drew upon and you could tell how you know uh passionate you were about that issue and it was really really quite uh interesting to listen to so you know to, to how effective i guess do you think uh you know those those protests were how how you know effective do you think it was at raising awareness for the issue and how well received do you think uh the the movement was in general mm, yeah good question Connor. i i think personally that on the 6th of june i'll never forget that day it was a marked date for a lot of diaspora globally in the world especially in britain um it needed to come out because it was bubbling for maybe it was, it's been bubbling since the 60s, this. Yeah. We've had the rebels, my Windrush generation of my grandparents come over. Um, my biological father doesn't live here anymore. He's had enough. And so <clears throat> I think it's been bubbling for years. And then the millennials grew up and, and George Floyd, and it was one of those sequences of events that had to happen. And on a personal note, <clears throat> just before the BLM protest on the 6th of June, I was marking on my phone all the racism I was getting every week. I I have been received more racism the last six years being a mother than when I was a single career woman. <clears throat> so I was phoning up my cousins and my friends who were white, black, whatever, and just going, am I going mad? Or are I just getting racism in Didsbury? I live on the cusp of multiculturalism and white middle class, and that's how I like it. Um, and I wasn't. And in the end, it got so bad that I was just marking on my phone another incident. And the incidents were being told off, reprimanded as if you're doing something wrong, uh, telling your son off. That's that's always one, a possession of the child. Um, and so when that happened with George Floyd, I 
could feel the bubble, the tension. And so that speech I wrote took 15 minutes because that was something I wanted to say for 41 years. <clears throat> yeah. Probably like a lot of people of my uh, demographic, um, if, we, if you are from the enslaved, uh, from the British slavery, it's not the African slavery, it's the British slavery, and we are enslaved, um, we've probably got things to say, but we've been silenced for 500 years. And when we do say how we feel, we get told to, we these days get passive aggression. So for me, I, I wasn't shocked. And it's really helped as in the, I hate this word, I'm sorry, you're going to use it, the nuances of life. So since Black Lives Matter, I haven't really had any racism. Right, okay. Interesting. <laughs> I haven't had those weird little incidents in Aldi. I haven't had those weird little incidents on Wimslow Road in Manchester. Yeah. Um, I had two huge racist incidents on a bus. I bought a car now because uh, the stagecoaches are racist, racism on the buses. Yeah. Um, but since then, I have noticed that the white British, some white British, I will have become more respectful. So it's raised an awareness yeah. of so how you speak to people that are not white. Yeah, fair enough. So you, you, you definitely think that, uh, well, I mean, it's clear from, from what you said that it had a positive impact in the sense that, like you say, you experienced less incidents of racism. So, you, yeah, I, to be fair, I would be, I'd definitely be tempted to agree with that. Well, no, I'd be tempted to agree, but I would agree with that. Uh, I think it actually raised uh, a lot of awareness for, for issues on behalf uh, of, of, you know, white people, obviously I'm a white person myself and it, it, you know, I, I think it's, I was saying this recently as well with, um, the, uh, the Sarah Everett stuff. And, and I did an episode with one, one, my housemate, um, Grace. And basically it's interesting when you explore or you try and, uh, sympathize with something that you've never really, uh, experienced. And like, I've never experienced sexual harassment or sexual assault. I've never experienced racism either. So, and I think it's almost, it's something that we don't want to think about. It's like to, but you kind of think, Oh, well, I'm not, it doesn't affect me. So it doesn't really matter. So, um, and I think what, what the black lives matter movement, uh, did as indeed, uh, did the recent, uh, movement with regards to the murder of Sarah Everett, is it forced people who hadn't experienced this to actually take note of it and stand up and actually do something about it. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it definitely was, uh, I think a, a positive, positive movement. Um, obviously we've had the, uh, the recent, uh, government report that, that has denied, uh, the existence of institutional racism, uh, in, in the UK, which, uh, Obviously, uh, you know, if you were uh, to use the uh, Black Lives Matter process as a barometer of that, you know, I think everyone who was uh, engaged in that form of activism would completely neglect uh, and reject those claims. Um, what were your particular thoughts uh, upon reading the report um, and what was your kind of reaction to it? Um, the Commission Race of Ethnic Dis Dis Disparities Report 2021, March. <laughs> right, because there's lots of them, and let's get that clear. I have skimmed through it yesterday and today, this morning. I have made some notes. Now, there's no denying, I'm an academic, so I'll, there's, I'll <laughs> if you just bear with me, there's no denying that they have done the work. They've done the data. They've said it's, it's taken five years to collect all this data. I was doing a PhD. I totally understand that. I understand how much hardship goes into collecting the data, interviewing the people from all demographics. 
Um, there, I get the feeling it's based in London. I see that, but they do talk about the north of England a little bit. I, I was delighted to see that they're talking about white people too and were white working classes. The first thing I looked at was um, who is who is doing this? Who are the commissioners? And there's ten of them, and there, there's one young African woman, I think, and mm. the rest are old, older, senior, black and brown um, commissioners. Now, Dr. Maggie. Uh, Potcock is one of my heroines and I think she's a wonderful woman she's uh, smashed the boundaries of science as a, as a, as a black woman um, so that's that that's really positive and it should have been really positive that the government asked them to do this yeah but I felt like I was being told off quietly by black Mary Poppins Right, yeah. That's a good, good interesting metaphor, but go on. Yeah. I, was, I wanted to know the, the race of these people, and there's one white guy in there, and the rest of So they yeah. should have known better. Yeah, that was if kind this, of... Yeah. If this was 10 white people from the 90s or the 80s, then I go, well, there's, there's that colonial whiff that we always smell. Yeah. When, when we're looking at oppressed groups, and it's the Irish, look at the Irish kids, look at the Caribbean bitch. And incidentally... I'm Jamaican, I'm English, and my son's father is Irish. Right, yeah. And so in this report, we are the lowest um, to achieve in this country. <laughs> so I would understand it if they, it was 10 white men and women from middle-class backgrounds writing this. But it's not. It's no, black yeah. and brown commissioners with PhDs. So does that make you more disappointed? Oh. <laughs> I should have gone down there and written it myself. Yeah. I'm the, I'm re yes. Um, my PhD is a really similar kind of topic to this. And it's not how you write. It's so, I came away so depressed and, and, and it's disparaging. And yes, these are some data facts. Definitely. We know Afro-Caribbean British boys are not um, uh, excelling at school with literacy and how they should but that is not because <laughs> one thing that always strikes me when we talk about uh, which communities are doing better than others in Britain is that we don't talk about the, 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 the main issue my PhD question is how does British colonization affect da 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 I've chosen Aboriginal tribe Yep. A, a, a penal island called Palm Island because I didn't want to choose Jamaica. It was too close to home. But we should be treating the diaspora how we should be treating the indigenous, the Native Americans, the Aboriginal Australians. Now, I'm going to break it down really quickly for everybody who does not understand in simple form. You have oak trees growing in West Africa. That's metaphor. And you cut the oak tree down and you ship it off to America and you ship it off to the Caribbean but you leave the roots in Africa. Can that tree grow without the roots in America and the Caribbean and in Britain? That is the main thing. The Aborigines, the Native Americans, the Caribbeans, we have roots have been hacked off only a hundred and odd years ago. And we've been told to grow as fast as an Anglo man that's been born and bred in this country and his roots are here in Leeds or his roots are here in Manchester. The Irish are the same. You hack the roots off the Irish, which is what happened. And then they're saying to us, why are we not developing? You've taken the root away. So we are in a constant state of uh, navigation, very, very subconsciously. 
all I read in this paper was about mental health, mental health. There's no psychology here. The psychology of the effects of colonization, what the British have done to us and to others, the Americans. We, we see that the highest crime rate, highest um, uh, incarcerations are black Americans, are black British, are Aboriginal Australians, are Native Americans. They all have one thing in common. They have all been colonized. Now, when I looked even more into it, they started to compare, which is woefully depressing on their part, um, African immigrant optimism. African immigrant opt optimism is, they are from Africa. They are from Nigeria. They know their people, they know their place, they know their culture, and that is why they excel. My cousin is Nigerian and she has excelled and she doesn't really understand, and we debate all the time, well, what's the Jamaican people's problems? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, because you were raised around your Nigerian people speaking language, 15 languages, your culture, your cloth. We have had to reassimilate ourselves in the white man's education. We have had to reassimilate everything. And it works for some, and most it doesn't, because we are still learning. And on top of that, something that they fail to miss is we have not had time to heal. Black Lives Matter has only come out last year. We haven't even touched on slavery because we've been told to be quiet. We, need to, we can't within a community even talk about slavery at the moment without a lump going to our throats. You speak to my auntie, 82, she still gets tears in her eyes, even if you mention the word slavery, or I don't want to talk about it, or I don't remember. We haven't even had that dialogue and discussion about our pain and how to heal. And that's where my PhD comes involved with how do we heal not how do we attain literacy, how do we heal first? Because we cannot heal, we cannot learn without healing. The healing comes first, the learning comes after. If you cannot heal, you cannot learn. And at some point it says, some trauma, some trauma. It's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> the African slave trade is the biggest genocide in human history. We cannot count how many people were murdered for 400 years. We have only been free, free as in the physical sense, 180, is it 200? Yeah. Mentally, we have not been free at all. Literacy is not going to help people from the diaspora at the moment. Healing is, so that's woeful. And they compare to Africans. Africans are like Germans, they're like the English. They are from that land. They have not been removed. That's the difference. And that's why we need to be treated as the indigenous. And that's why I always say my speeches, black and indigenous, because they have been removed from their lands too. And they have had their culture side and their genocide and been raped and pillaged, just like the diaspora, um, the Caribbean experience. So it's so, it's about statistics, it's about data, and that is fine. We know that the Caribbean community and the Irish community and the gypsy community are not achieving as much. But why? Why? Why are the African people achieving well? It's to do with history. And the way they nudge that to the side is so, so disappointing. And just one other thing, thank you for listening. And, and this is what really, really upset me. All the way through this report, they deny the word racism. All the way through it, they denied the word racism. It is so inconsistent, this report, when it comes to racism. It is not institutional. It is not systemic. Da, 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 da. And then it says, on the other hand, on page 44 or whatever, 
racism is awful and we need to tackle this. And it's completely uh, racially confused. And I always say what's going on because you can't have a black uh, conversation without a white one at the moment. It will calm down, but not at the moment. We're just starting this going now. Is that there's racial confusion with all groups. We're all learning. We need to learn how to heal over slavery. White people, not that I'm suggesting what people should do, but in my opinion, white people need to learn how to listen. And they're getting there, they're doing really well. So the fact that this report is saying all the way through racism, it's not just about racism. Um, oh, Britain is no longer rigged against ethnic minorities. Oh my God. It, some of the sentences they're coming out with, it's, it's, it's as if a white headmaster from the 1950s has written it. The colonial energy and stigma in this report, and I, I was gobsmacked to see who, who's writing it, racism doesn't affect life chances. That's in this report. Racism doesn't affect life chances. But then at the same time, it says in the report that racism is rife in Britain and we need to, we need to find ways of stomping it down. It even does a highlight box of explaining what different racisms there are. So it's completely inconsistent what they're saying about race and racism in this country. So that even highlights even the, the confusion of race and racism in this country is still there. Why don't they just own that and say there's still a big discussion that needs there's still in 200 years. We won't be having this. It'll be something else. It'll be calm. But yeah. right now um, it, it's not done its service. It could have been a brilliant report. It, it could have gone into healing. It could have drawn ideas the way I have actually from other groups of oppressed people, from colonized people. But what it's done, it's done a white British framework yep. of statistics, data, and that's it. It has not gone into any of the cultural relativity of why certain people are blossoming more than others in this country. Yeah, no, brilliant. I think it's, uh, like I said, well summed up um, there from your from your point of view, of course. And I think like you do mention the importance of the fact that, you know, the, the, the demography of the people that it was written by. And I think that was... Um, that was a point I saw uh, on uh, on Twitter as well, which is like I've said this before. It's an absolute cesspit for shit opinions. Twitter, but I saw. Um, I just I'm saw. Not on it. Uh, oh, I'd honestly, don't I don't blame you. No, um, it's too aggressive for me. Even though I come quite fiery. No, I can't. I can't do that. No. Yeah, um, but no. The, one of the points I saw, uh, you know, from people like I said, I, I said this before. I try. I follow a wide range of people from a wide range of you know political uh, leanings and views. And uh, one of the points I saw was, you know, obviously when this report was released and it said, you know, there's no institutional racism in, in the UK and people were going, uh, uh, people were obviously like you disputing that claim, uh, you know, quite convincingly in my view. Um, but uh, then the sort of counterpoint that people were going was, well, well, look at the people who who wrote the report. They're, you know, like you mentioned, they're, uh, they're black and brown people. So they were going... Oh, well, look at the people who wrote it. So how are you saying that they're, you know, you know what I mean? So almost uh, suggesting that, you know, they're, 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 they're the monolith for all, for, for everyone. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. The, uh, the monopoly holders of the That's right. on, on institutional racism. All down in London. <laughs> A very London-centric view. As I well. might say, all down in London. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, no, like, it's like, say, it's... Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of people. Obviously, I can't, I, I can't claim that it's had a personal uh, impact on myself as much as it will have um, it, on it, you. But, but yeah, it, it was awful. On. And 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 also, when people read something like that, so I've just got a few of the comments because 
yeah exactly black and brown people if we're going to embark on this journey of healing but for them it's literacy and numeracy and that's it get a degree get a degree forget your healing if you walk around unhealed you make bad mistakes you end up in the nick okay they need to come to workshops to be healed to talk about slavery to talk about their father not being in the home only then can people move on. And that's not being said. But it does say this, and the contradictions throughout the report are hilarious. Like, there's some gobsmacking contradictions. And it's not in academic, because they are PhDs. They're yeah. just blatant contradictions. Yeah. So he's the, with the Caribbean people, they're saying a fatalistic narrative. That Caribbean, Black British boys, uh, have a fatalistic narrative that it's all, it's all doom and gloom and we can't get on. And uh, another reason perhaps why mixed race like my son who's jamaican irish english polish yeah. <laughs> mixed race uh, kids won't do as well in the under the scn because the parenting might feel the family strain of how we uh talk to our children because we're stressed out da, da, da. and it's all very well and good and i did agree with the fact that they did say more funding needed but if you're just going to throw funding at another rubbish school that's not culturally aware. I was a teacher for 12 years in SEN. I've worked with youth offenders. I've worked with prisoners. I'm in the thick of it. I understand. I've worked in pupil referral unit. Yeah. did that for three years. That's hard work. But one thing that I realized, and this is where I've come to my theories in what I do for a living, is that there is no point sticking on academic band-aids to unhealed human beings, especially from colonized groups. So, yes, by all means, more funding. But at the same time, how is it being funded? Are you just going to throw it at school and go do more literacy, do non-numeracy? Or are you going to put more uh, healing programs, healing, I hate the word framework, healing programs, healing ceremony into the people? And that's where it's at. It's at the healing first. It's not at this. And you're absolutely right, Connor, what you said. And what this does, because it is black and brown people, commissioners um, writing this, it basically gives white right-wing professionals go see see they've said it so it must be true and that is why it's disappointing because how on earth are we going to get on when we've got seemingly black and brown people against us we're meant to be allyship and we can learn again from um the indigenous to stick together the indigenous the aboriginal australians they do they're very good at sticking together we can learn from the black americans how to stick together but for some reason with the black british i have noticed in positions of power we do not stick together and we have reports like this do you think that's a result of um you know like you mentioned these uh people you know having the need to heal do you think it's because once they get to these sort of positions of power uh, they sort of uh you know forget their roots perhaps and forget their 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 history and their what sort of you know the the things they perceive these they see these struggles they perhaps know they're going on but because like I mentioned earlier perhaps because it doesn't affect them directly anymore they go word of mouth is that do you think that's part of the problem no I I spoke to a successful black British man I know him very well uh, Jamaican origins and he said to me and we and he's a Tory he's a conservative so we we really clash but it's very positive because I respect what he does and he said to me I am successful now. Should I really, just because I'm Jamaican origin, black British, should I really feel the need to help others? I, I've achieved what I've achieved. I've got out of it. And, and that's me. I'm almost like, and I said, yeah, like the self-made man. Yep. Uh, so, I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, the self-made man. And I said to him, um, maybe I'll have black British people totally disagree with me. I'm unsure. 
as a black and as an oppressed person in in when we are oppressed if we get to the top it should be the natural way of things to help others the black crab syndrome has been going on for too long in jamaican culture where you rip each other down rather than bring each other up that again has been inherited by slavery and colonization slavery and colonization has its own psychology it has its own psychology that needs to be addressed i'm addressing my phd um so yeah it's a great question i believe that and i've and i've said this to you earlier that they're all in seniors. They all look that like they're in their fifties. I don't think that helps. Yeah. They're coming from a fifty-something um, generation, just a notch below the silent generation. So they were raised by people in the silent generation who are now my dad's age in their seventies. Yeah. So that's why it whiffs of the Black Mary Poppins or yeah. Mary White Mary Poppins, and um, it's 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 in, it's undated it's it's old fashioned you're reading it and it feels old fashioned it's not mm. it's not appropriately written for this day and age with the movements that are going on um so i believe that if you get to the top when you get to the top you should remember i don't care what color you are you should remember your humble roots and as i said to you off air Connor, that you can have all the degrees under the sun, the PhDs, but there's one thing that they do not teach you, and that is humility. And if you do not have humility when you work with the press groups, you will not last. And this lacks humility. And um, I am educated to the hill. I've got myself out of, um, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, I come from a very, very hard background. A very, um, I could have, I could have failed many times in my life. Um, my background is part of my work and so but I would never think to say to say um, a group of uh, black British uh, boys in prison listen I got myself out the ghetto you can do it we're all made genetically different Um, we're all resilience is all wavering and there's been times that I have faltered so um, with this the commissioners on here and my heroine who is Dr Maggie um, as I said, they are a lot older. They should know better. And this should have been a report of unity. Instead, actually, for me, it feels like a report of, once again, um, the ethos of co- uh, rule, divide, conquer. Yeah. So there's a colonial narrative going through there still. And you can tell that they're conscious when they're writing it, that that's what they're thinking. You can see that they know. Yeah. Well, it would take more intelligence and more brain work to write it in a different way, in a different method. And they've chosen not to, to go that extra two months of writing it in a respectful, non-judgmental way. They've chosen to just go down the, uh, the, the British framework wave. And also it's the Tories that have funded this. Mm. So it has Tory whiffs in there. It has, yeah. it has, if it was funded, say, by the Green Party, yeah, yeah. Would, would, would it translate differently? Probably it was funded by the Tories, and that is why they keep saying all the way through, dropping this, dropping racism doesn't exist, racism all the way through, because it was funded by the Tories. Yeah, it's definitely a. Yeah. There's an agenda. You can read the agenda in it. Of course, it's of course. So obvious the agenda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not neutral. It's not no. from neutral, a neutral, decent point of view. It's come from an agenda. They're in effect gaslighting us, saying that, that racism doesn't exist in this country, and in and it's in no way. Uh, ref- racism does not affect chance chances are you joking yeah i don't know how i've got through this life and actually every decision i've made is because of race and racism in my career and in my personal life 
There you go. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, sums up quite nicely. Thanks, the thanks, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to give you a minute to I have, have, a little, have a little drink and, uh, you Ooh, know. Calm down, I think I'll need to drink a pint after this, Gunner. <laughs> you might do, yeah. You're me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know we need to move on, but it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I no, mean, it... Everyone should read it. Everyone should read it and, and pick it apart. And it's easy to pick it apart. Read it and, 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 and have a debate. You know, you can't. It's clear they've done the work, but how it's translated is, is, um, is, is irresponsible and colonial. Yeah, there you go. It's no, like you say, it's obviously you've, uh, you know, like a lot of people, you know, you encourage people to read it. But rea- the, I think the reality is that people won't bother reading it. They, they'll see. <laughs> I, I, no, in terms of just the general sort of, uh, you know, the general populace and the general electorate, you know, people aren't going to read this. People don't have time to sit there and, uh, you know, indulge political documents. So they'll take the headline, which is institutional racism is not a problem in Britain. And they'll go, right, sorted. Um, so <laughs> you're right. You're so, right. yeah, that's yeah. that's uh, part of the problem, I suppose. But um, yeah, like I said, I did want to give you, you know, I did want to let you speak about that because yeah, obviously you. it's, yeah. um, it's a, big like, deal. a topical issue as well, obviously, because it only just mm. happened last week. And uh, mm. I, I don't think I don't think if I was to talk about it or uh, if... Sam or Joe, either of my co-hosts were here. Uh, they're not at the moment, but if we were to talk about it in one of our normal episodes, I feel like we wouldn't do it justice. Um, so uh, I think you have. So yeah, you, move Tyler. on to um, thank you. No, no problem. We'll move on to uh, <laughs> we'll move on to talk a little bit about uh, again something that's quite topical uh, and something that uh, I know you've you've been involved in as well. Um, uh, the uh, kill the bill protests. So. Obviously, we've spoke about this uh, on the podcast for a couple of weeks now because obviously this bill was proposed a good few weeks ago now, I think. Um, and the, the protest action we've seen, uh, it's showing no signs of uh, of wavering at the moment, which is obviously positive because uh, I, I this is the thing as well with, with, with the podcast. We've got me who, like I said earlier, I'm sort of, well, I was a member of the Labour Party until last week when I decided I'd had enough of Keir Starmer's shocking leadership. Um, we've, got, we've got Sam, who's a member of the Conservative Party, but but interestingly, some an issue that unites us is this bill. Uh, uh, and I don't know many people who are actually in support of this bill. Um, really? Yeah, it's, it's I, I genuinely haven't spoken to anyone who, who supports it, regardless of their political party or their views. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, obviously we've seen the process and, and I actually went to one of the uh, protests in Leeds. There was one in Leeds on Good Friday. Um, I went to that and I, I, I didn't, I wrote a little article about it and I'll maybe speak about it a bit more later, but um, to sort of, I, I know you've, uh, you've got pretty strong opinions on Pretty Patel. Um, <laughs> just, well, uh, she, was she part of this report too? I mean, she, it's that kind of ilk, isn't it? You she know? might well have been. Um, <laughs> she might well have been. No, because I, I only, I only, uh, pick that up because like I said I listened to your speech and you did uh, one as well which uh, in which you you criticised you know uh, Prissy Patel and uh, Christina Dick specifically for their uh, you know just lack of uh, lack of lack of alliance and their sort of uh, almost almost betrayal um, of their roots uh, or you know I think I think you expressed a bit like with this report that we spoke mm. about, a, a grave disappointment in these individuals, uh, you know, because like you mentioned in, in your speech, they have so much potential to symbolise so much positive, you know, um, Sam's mentioned this, uh, you know, on our, on our pod, you know, she's a, she's such a, a historical, you know, she could, like I say, she could really have 
done so much you know she's mm. got so much historical significance um mm. with a with a position that she's in uh with a with a background you know the fact she's a woman in such a good position of power as well as an ethnic minority Prissy, oh, Prissy, Prissy Patel, Patel. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 um but also you did you know criticize and Christina mm. Dick you could put in the same level she's as well to be fair she's LGBT, from the LGBT community. community yeah yeah. Uh, and you know, yeah, she's uh, obviously yeah, a woman from the LGBT community. So mm. both of these people, like you say, had so much potential and have almost just sort of thrown it back yeah. uh, at the people who got them yeah. where they are. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I guess my, my point is, is what, what I, I'm not going to ask you opinions on this bill because I think it's pretty obvious, um, <laughs> but just sort of where do you see the protest movement going uh, in, in terms of this bill specifically? Do you think, um, you know, ultimately, do you think these people are, are going to listen? Do you think the government are, have taken note of this? Because I think it's probably, in my view, uh, other than the Black Lives Matter last year, probably some of the biggest protest movement I've ever seen in my lifetime mm. Uh, mm. in terms of grassroots level. So, yeah, what, mm. what's been your sort of thoughts and feelings? Um, the Tories are pretty stubborn. Yep. They, 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 they won't, um, they won't be bullied by the public into submission for that. They would say it like that submission. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a lot of family members that are Tories on my white side. Yeah. Um, and it, it, calling to empathy and sympathy doesn't work with Tories. No. Uh, Pretty Patel, her number one hero of all time, and she'll tell you anytime she wants, is Margaret Thatcher is a hero. Yeah. I'm a granddaughter of a coal miner, mm. my white side. So that's where she's at. Yeah. And I admire Margaret Thatcher as a woman, you know, her leader, not, not what she did to my granddad's community, but in Sheffield yeah. and Killamarsh, but as a woman. And... um They've already said, Priti Patel's already said, um, Chris Ida Dick has already made it known that they will not budge just because the people say so. Um, I think with the case of Kill the Bill, keep going. Mm. Um, if we don't protest, give an inch, will take a mile. They'll just keep putting on more and more weird COVID-type cloaked laws around us pretending yeah. it's for our safety of covid uh, it's a rouge it's all a rouge you know that a lot of it not i'm I... not oh my god i'm not diminishing anything from the nurses on lockdown let me make that clear but no. what i'm saying is give the tories an inch they'll take a mile yeah. with, with it all so we need to keep protesting to let them know we are awake yeah and we see what you're doing yeah yeah, yeah. and we're not going to fall asleep and go oh all right we oh the whole point of protest, and everybody said this, is to give some kind of civil, a bit of unrest. Yeah. So they blocked the trams. I wouldn't be happy if I was on the tram going to work and that happened. I wouldn't be happy. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. But as I keep saying to certain people uh, that argue with me and I don't speak to them anymore, is that um, we'll do all the hard work and you will take all the benefits in 10 years. So all these activists are getting arrested. They're coming out doing all the hard yard. We're all coming out exhausting ourselves. And whilst everybody else is going, well, they blocked the trams today. But where do you think these rights come from? Because mm. the first thing I learned with my master's in human rights 11 years ago was rights are always fought for. They are never given. I think that was the first sentence Dr. Carlos Freyd said to me. He's my hero too at Salford yeah. Uni. Rights are always fought for. They are never given. And Fantastic. we take, we, we take um, because we live in Britain, relatively free, I guess, if you're into nine to fives and mortgages, 
um, we we take it, for example, we take it for granted that uh, our rights are here, but actually um, we can see that give the Tories power, they will try and clamp down on you even more. Um, so we need to keep protesting whilst ever they are not, um, whilst ever they keep pushing for the bill, just to show that public power it's that simple yep. and that we won't be bullied into, into that kind of um, quiet and asleep. Mm. As I said, it's been a long time coming in Britain, but yeah. I don't understand anyway. I've never understood. I, I lived through the Thatcher years uh, as a kid and, 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 and grew up just in, with so much racism. It was horrendous. And I've never understood why because this country votes for Thatcher anyway, because we always end up in an era of depression. Um, I don't really understand why we vote for them because we're always really depressed and it's always very aggro in the country when they're around. When Labour are in, it, it calms down a bit. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Well, I mean, not for the last 10 years, really. <laughs> yeah, look, it's got really aggro, this country. This country is so angry. This is the problem, though, that I've never, I've never experienced. I can never, well, I have experienced a Labour government, but the last time a it's Labour calmer. government... Last time a Labour government was in power, I was nine years old. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I can't really. It's can't karma. Really say, it's karma. I've done. I've I've been in two, two Tories, and I remember them very well. Arthur Scargill, love God, love him, uh, fighting for the coal miners. He's a hero of mine. And um, every time the Tories are in, it kicks off for years. And and it, and, it, and for some reason, the Tories enjoy growing an animosity amongst the people. And I don't understand uh, why why we do it. Brexit again. Uh, created so much division and racism yeah. and now they're doing it with a bill um it's as if they're trying to uh i, I feel like we're under some weird creepy tory experiment uh, where they're trying to break us somehow because it, it's whatever they're doing it's working it's um yeah i, I i've been I, i've been quite uh strongly opposed to the uh, sort of lockdown measures and the and the overreach that I I perceive it to be an overreach, uh, and this sort of psychological warfare um, that the Tories are engaging in. That they're, they're you know I think they really are the the propaganda campaigns uh, over sort of the the lockdown and stuff like that. Um, you know these these awful messages. You know if if you go outside people are going to die it's it's really it's quite sinister and i'm glad you've sort of picked up on it as well because i think it's quite a dangerous oh, course, yeah. dangerous message to be to be passing yeah. on and and like i say it's uh, and i think this bill uh, i've said this before i think i think i said this in an article that i did i think this bill uh, is mm-hmm. is just another symptom of the last year of the conservatives being allowed mm-hmm. free reigns to exert their power. And there's a lot of people who are to blame for that. Mm. I, I think, you know, the Labour government, the Labour government, the Labour opposition are, are quite, uh, are, are, have to be blamed for that because they've not opposed it at any point really. Um, so, yeah, I think, like you say, I definitely agree with you. And this bill is, it's almost, you know, the, the potentially the top of the pyramid, I guess. And I think it's actually quite good now that people yeah. are realizing this is a, a very yeah. significant issue. And now they're coming out and protesting and I hundred percent support it. That's right. People power, because what the people do without them, they're, they're not up there without us. And we need to remember that people power is at their, con- we are their conscience. You know, I would say to Pretty Patel, but it's too late for her and, and Chris Adedick, find your soul. Mm. They, they, they've sold. So what hope do we have when we, we, we could have had these kind of icon-like figures? We really could, you know, LGBTQ, top of the police. 
yeah, yeah, yeah brown yeah. second second generation you know and they've gone for um I'm just going to say it. they've gone for the white man, the colonial white man. Again, mm. they're going for the colonial white man, uh, top of the food chain. Uh, I care about my career more than I care about the people. I'm sure they didn't feel like that 20 years ago. I'm sure they had some kind of socialism in there, but they've got to the top and then and they're not about to give that away. And actually, in, in my research, that is commented a lot uh, with a lot of colonized groups. Well, we we had an Aboriginal leader. Um, but then he got to the top of Canberra in Australia. We never see him now. So this mm. isn't just in Britain. Like we hear it all over the world with uh, oppressed groups going, their people got got into power and then they lost their soul. Yeah. Uh, and Pretty and Crusader was just one of many of oppressed groups that have got to the top and, and they've lost their soul uh, for the colonial white man. And I say colonial because it's important because I'm not saying all white men are this or all white men are that. The colonial white man, they, they still want to hold on to that. The Trump era, yeah. um, my father's era, the silent generation, and they're holding on to dear life. And they're the ones um, uh, sustaining that colonial, uh, that colonial way of living, which is so, so toxic. And that's why you've seen a lot of the millennials in your age coming through going, we don't like this oppressive colonial energy. What's this? It's gross. Get rid of it. It's horrible. And, 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 and because they know that once they're gone, that's it. It's over. Thank God. Um, so keep going, millennials, keep going, whoever, not millennials, but what, you, what people are actually uh, protesting for is the last of the colonial era. Yeah. So do you sort of, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, you do obviously perceive uh, the sort of issues here to be linked. Obviously, you know, it's like, and this is a link. Yeah, I mean, you're probably you're probably right. To be fair, it is uh, you you could link everything uh, together. But the thing that I found with uh, obviously, like I said, I went on this uh, kill the bill protest. I went, like I said, I went as a sort of observer, 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 uh, more than a uh, more than a participant, just because I sort of wanted to, you know, see the sort of uh, issues that were being spoken about, and uh, the thing that maybe. Uh, retracted away from from it for me is obviously it was a kill the bill process that was what it was advertised as that's what it's uh you know promoted as but uh, to me it seemed to be more of like a, a left-wing coalition of interests and you know there were speeches from the uh from people from like the marxist societies uh, and like the socialist workers party was there as well advocating you know things like the overthrowing of capitalism and things like that and um i think that's again it's an issue that doesn't doesn't appeal to me it doesn't speak to me obviously it spoke to a lot of people who were there because you know this is the kind of thing this is their sort of bread and butter, I guess. And I get, I, I wrote, again, I wrote an article about, I keep mentioning that I write articles. Um, I don't even write that many. I write like one a week, but. Uh, <laughs> I've not, not written any, don't worry. <laughs> I know, I literally, I, just, I, keep, I keep mentioning it as if, it's all, as if it's all I do, but it really isn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, but I did, I did mention that I feel like they, they almost, they've almost missed an opportunity with this kill the bill issue to try and mm. unite people from, mm. you know, different, uh, areas of the political spectrum because like I say I don't know anyone who actually supports this bill even whether mm. you're a conservative um, or obviously if you're a, you know in the top echelons of the conservative party you're probably going to agree with it but like Sam like I say who's a co-host of the, the 
the podcast. He's a Conservative Party member, and even he is really opposed to this bill. So I feel like it maybe would have been nice uh, if there was going to be, this is some sort of like weird political utopia of all groups yeah. uniting against yeah. one issue. It's never going to happen, I don't think. But um, I, I, It's funny you should say that, Colin, because I've noticed that, that when Black Lives Matter came out, it, it kind of opens the doorway for like other groups to come and go, all right, let, let's, there's a platform there. Let's um, get, get on that. So we yeah. have Black Lives Matter. So um, some groups used uh, lockdown. Is yeah. oh you know shut lockdown and I I it grates me because I think well if everyone could just come together with one kind of agenda mm. uh, well that's people in politics and it doesn't yeah. work it's yeah a, it's, a, it's a utopia isn't it? yeah yeah it's a utopia yeah. but, um, but yeah like I say it was interesting and obviously we have seen um some like you sort of touched on it slightly with you know people blocking trams and stuff like that it's uh you know civil disobedience in that sense and it, it escalates i suppose to some of the scenes perhaps that we've seen in bristol and i know there were some violent scenes in manchester i was over the well. moon that they got rid of that or that whatever it is that um the statue oh right yeah yeah, yeah. Colston, is for it? black lives matter I yeah, over yeah, the yeah, moon. yeah yeah I, yeah i thought it was wonderful yeah no yeah I think things like that um why, what do you think about these no, disobedience I, you... I think per, well personally i, I think where um where it's what I was, yeah, I was mainly referring to like the the recent uh, weeks in Bristol with like right. the kill the bill stuff. But obviously, yeah, yeah I think uh, I'm very much of the opinion that um, where where violence is faced, violence must be the response. Um, and I think you know, power never conceded anything without demand. I think that's mm. a Frederick Douglass mm. quote. I think which yeah. is quite nice. Um, yeah. So yeah, I. I, I get it to an extent and I, I was interested to obviously hear your thoughts uh Gab, mm. that you sort of agree slightly with that but like obviously it got a lot of criticism and it didn't win a lot mm. of sympathy for the for the mm. movement and for the cause no. which is yep. especially the kill the bill stuff recently mm. with you know people in bristol setting fire to cars and stuff like that it didn't win a lot of sympathy but to what extent do you think that that's the sort of one an acceptable approach and two an effective approach i, I um well it, it, again it's what we say if we look back in history and um nelson mandela let's just go to him straight away um <clears throat> and all the greats to make change normally comes with some kind of battle doesn't it it's you know it's a power struggle in effect it's power and yeah. power to get power and land hello britain with your colonization you rape pillage and murder people the brits know that they practically invented it so it's a hypocrisy when 10 Downing Street, pretty Boris, say, um, well, this violence is unacceptable. The police are just doing their jobs. Well, I'll say to you, well, your colonization and slavery is uh, unacceptable. And if we gave just as much fire and fury as the 500 in slavery and oppression and psychological oppression that we have faced, there, will be, there would be World War III. If we mimicked what Britain have done, to half the world, there would be World War Three. So there's a hypocrisy there. So that's the past, but the present, um, I always think if it's gonna be an unpeaceful protest, you go to the epicenter of the racism. There's no point <laughs> torching your neighbor's car. <laughs> no, of course not, of course not. It's like, don't do it, it's your neighbor's car. It, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the Turkish family's restaurant, because I, I witnessed that a long time ago. They were trashing a, a Turkish family's restaurant in London. It was just sort of, I can't remember, it was, it was for a protest. It was awful. Yeah. But if we're having an unpeaceful protest, it's the epicenter. Right. The police. 
yeah. the council. The, so I'm not inciting violence, but I'm saying if you if it goes that way, you know, the statue was a fantastic symbol. Yeah, target the, the, target the yeah, right Yeah, yeah, target the symbolism, the symbolism of power. They can handle it. Yeah, I <laughs> you know they right. can handle it. Don't you know? Don't go to your neighbour. You know when you see in in the riots in LA or what's going on, and they're just trashing the entire community. Yeah, and and it is totally counterproductive because it's the community that's got to tidy it up. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to the police and you're going to symbols, I mean, and again, leave the library alone. Yeah, it's, it's knowledge. It's yeah, knowledge. Yeah, yeah. We learn from there. That you know we can learn from it. I love libraries. I live in libraries. Uh, again, you go for the symbolism. Where's the symbolism of power? Where's the epicenter of racism? Where's the epicenter of oppression? That's where you go. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to fight for your rights. That's what you have to do. But I, I don't agree with trashing your neighbor's car or, or the restaurant. But what I do agree with is the epicenter of the power and the racism. And, and if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. Yeah, like you say, it's it's definitely targeting that um that resistance at, at the at the symbols of authority that's this yeah which is the and and one of them is the police of course um so yeah i think it's uh like it's quite a, it's quite an interesting debate about you know at what point does uh, does protest uh, and violent protests become legitimate and there's obviously uh you know competing uh, competing arguments on this uh in in historical literature and even in modern literature mm. so it's i mean the, the police said with the sarah Everard that the reason it got so out of hand and it made me laugh because it said in this disparity report that the police need to um do more training cultural training more uh, de-escalating training like i had to do training a little bit to work with youth offenders because you get really horrible things said to you you get oh, racism you get scissors thrown at you. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's a conflict zone in that mm. classroom. And if you've got a hot head and a hot temper and you can't cope, it can turn into something else. So I think the police said in response with Sarah Everard that the women were saying such profanities and it was revolting and disgusting. They were swearing. Mm. And I'm sorry, uh, with any job that you do, as I do, you know that conflict is your job. So yeah. you have to be trained to deal with that conflict and put it in the gym. Yeah, well, it's funny. Put you it should, somewhere else. It's funny you should say that because I've actually I've, serving, I've, protecting, yeah. de-escalate, 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 mm. and that's why I left working with youth offenders because I couldn't de-escalate anymore. I didn't want to. Right, I, I yeah. got out the job. I didn't want to be. Yeah. So take responsibility, please. It, either de-escalate or maybe get out of the job, get an office job, but yeah. you cannot handcuff women because they're swearing and screaming in your face. That's your training. Yeah. That's what you're in for. That's yeah. what you do. Exactly. It's fun. I mean, it's funny you should mention the whole the conflict thing because I've even, I, I've got a job at my uh, student union bar, right? And I've had to do training for that. And some of the, I've had to do conflict training for it. I, one yeah. of the online courses I had to do was like how to de-escalate conflict. So even at a job like working at a bar, um, you know, obviously you might get some someone uh, come up to you. And like I say, you can't come back at that. I couldn't, if I came back at that person and, you know, chucked a glass at them or something, then I'm, lo <laughs> I'm losing my job, aren't I? I'm, that's not yeah, the right way yeah. to deal with the conflict. It's so like, um, special person and i say this like primary school teachers for me i adore them it takes a special person to have that much patience oh yeah like I, I work in conflict zones and i have a lot of patience because i'm from an oppressed group 
And I, I've gone through a lot of shit in my life. So I have, I get where these people are coming from because I've been there myself. So I have a lot of patience. But a lot, some of the police, they don't come from oppressed groups. So they just look at this behavior and go, this is wild. What is this behavior? Why are they so angry with me? What have I done wrong? I'm only from Chesterfield in Derbyshire. I'm yes. only trying to help. And and that's where the training comes in, because a lot of the press groups have the rage for these people because it's called lateral violence. They cannot hit the top. So they hit out. Yeah. And the, the training has to come from that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the Sarah Everard, and it was quite ironic. And I think a lot of people have said this. They do it. Uh, I'm not like they do a, um, a vigil for yeah. women violence. And then all these women get mullered by, by the police. I know. It's, like... it's, it's painful irony. It's painful irony. Painful irony. Yeah. The de-escalating. Yeah. You need lots of that. If I would say anything to the police, the de-escalation training needs to be double what, um, double, double whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, alongside with, you know, your self-defense, because you do need to defend yourself. Yeah, of course. Of course you do. Yeah, that's what I mean, I think, like I say, it would be very hard. And, and uh, you know, like if you are a police officer and someone's oh, yeah. you know, starting having a go at you, of course Awful it would be. It's, it's part of your job at the end of the day. It's, mm. you know, part and parcel of uh, being a police officer. And mm. uh, as you put it, if, if that's not something you can handle, then I guess you've got, mm. to, you've got to sort of deal with it. And again, you know, an, an individual officer might think, well, what have I done? I've done nothing, mm. right? And chances are they probably haven't done anything. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you say, you know, you can't, get to the top so you have to hit out I, 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 yeah that's it and I, th I think a lot of the police officers especially the white police officers are just ignorant I, 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 I've, I've worked with them I've been on both sides to be honest I've been on both sides yes yeah. I have I, yeah, yeah. I was very rebellious in the 90s in my teens and 20s yeah. and the one thing that I always am astounded with is the ignorance of police officers with mm. cultural cultural um, relativity and the ignorance of, of white teachers I was a teacher and I, I remember walking away from teaching because I and also having the self-awareness to understand when you can't do it anymore yeah. I knew I couldn't teach anymore after I had my son six years ago in these conflict areas mm. with these with these youth offenders these British kids I, I, I couldn't do it anymore I didn't have it I didn't have the patience so I was mature enough to understand it's time to leave yeah yeah so a lot of the police they need to understand as individuals when it's time to walk away mm. um and and i think the one thing that i will say is that working in the system the ignorance among white professionals in services is horrifying mm. um so when they say about um institutional racism and you speak to teachers yeah. middle-class white teachers and you speak to police and it, it's just, you just walk away going, there's just no, they have no understanding of, of, of other people's uh, lives. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, a very know, small yeah, yeah. worldview. And that's, that needs to change in this country massively. Ed education is the key then, is that? Uh, always education is the key, but yeah. also uh, uh, self-learning, um, self self-awareness and, and, and having the having the nouns, having the brains to go, okay, well, I, reflection as a police officer or a teacher, all right, well, I didn't handle it very well with um, this, uh, these black Caribbean students. How can I learn? And there's mm. not enough of that. They're given the white professional badge, and it's kind of like, again, that, that whiff of colonial era mm. going on again. Yeah, I think that's important and, you know, in sort of all protest movements and, and the the significance of them is that sometimes it does, like I said earlier, it does force you to maybe think about yourself and, and explore your own uh, your own 
actions and conducts and think about, you know, ways in which you yourself can improve and ways in which, you know, you can have a, a, a positive impact. I think Absolutely, because I think if you genuinely really cared in the service that you're in, you, should, you need to self-reflect. And I know teachers have to do that. It's part of their training. But I, I still believe that there's a massive gap between um, cultural relativity and race and racism with white professionals. They are part of the problem yeah. massively. Yeah. All right, fair enough. It's um, yeah, I, I, that's been a, a sort of nice discussion uh, on that those particular issues, um, and like say some really fantastic insights. I'm just going to sort of wrap it up with a few yeah. like quick fire questions because obviously it's been done about an hour of chat, and obviously yeah, it's, it's really good conversation. But don't, really don't want to don't want to take up too much of your time, of course. <laughs> no, uh, I've loved it. No, preaching. Um, I'm preaching. Uh, <laughs> of course. No, it's good. It's good. It's really uh, you know you can tell that you're quite passionate in what you're saying, uh, and you really do believe in uh, yeah you very conviction have a strong conviction about your own ideas which is uh yeah i do because i've i've worked through it i've i've been in this i've worked in the system i've been actually i said this to someone the other day from women's aid i have um been on both sides yeah i have been a professional working i've also been a victim yeah so um you know i i can see both sides to it all and not only that my career is in i live and breathe my work it's my life's work so i've been a victim and i've been a professional uh, a mixed race, da da da, and so when I read these reports and when I listen, it, it, it's almost as if I, uh, my worldview is, is quite well rounded. And, yeah. and I was a teacher for twelve years working with a press group, so you know, it, uh, it's it, I am passionate about it. It's not that I'm dogmatic; I'm passionate about it because I feel like I, it's a living, breathing ex career and life experience that I'm in. Yeah. And if I can help and give my schools a knowledge, oh my God, well, that's why I'm here, really. Yeah, definitely. It's um, no, really important. Um, and yeah, you know, you're doing some uh, some great work to keep it up, definitely. But we'll finish with some yeah. uh, some quick fire. Uh, really quick questions. I, I promise I'll be quick. <laughs> it's they're, they're only like they're not light hearted ones. They're not uh, uh, um, yeah. not particularly um, not too. Actually, to be fair, one of them that's not particular heart the first one is um <laughs> name what okay yeah it, it might end up getting a bit of a tangent but name one issue <laughs> one political issue which you think uh, deserves more attention white professionals working with the press groups good answer um the best city in the uk bristol for me bristol interesting I why bristol? bristol i went to university in bath years ago oh okay i've got i have got history in bristol Oh, um, nice. but I, I love uh, Brighton. I live there. Uh, I love the, uh, for want of a better word, liberalism. Yeah. And I'm really, really proud of Bristol for uh, the slave, um, the slave acknowledgement. I don't think we saw that in Liverpool. And Liverpool's the epicenter of, rate of slavery up here. It is, yeah. Um, and this, you can see, you can still see. There are where streets the sh- named after slaves. Exactly. Aren't you can still see the, yeah. the shackles all along uh, Albert Dock, where my people right. will have been. Uh, handcuffed and drowned because they were too oh, sick wow. to get to Jamaica. So you can see, you can still see physical torture yeah. in Albert Dock. And I don't think we saw that much of that in Liverpool. You still no, see okay, the, yeah. the slaves carved into the ornaments of the building. Whereas Bristol, oh my God. They've acknowledged it. No, and, and, uh... and it was, it's not a very black city for want of a better word, but they, they went for it like it, oh, they went yeah. for it like they were the oppressed. So Bristol cool. to me, Bristol. Yeah. No, good answer. Um, if you had to live in any other country, where would you live? Well, 
Well, I am emigrating. I'm going home. Oh, really? Yeah, I've had enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so I will be living true to my roots between um, Manchester and uh, the Caribbean. I'm currently looking at islands to live, whether it be Jamaica or Barbados. Lovely. But also at Brazil. I've always oh, yeah. wanted to live in Brazil. Uh, I've travelled loads anyway, mm. So, but I'm, I'm a bit done with England. I've been treated in my life. I'm very, very tired. Yeah. Um, so I will alternate between two countries, but my headquarters, my base will be in the Caribbean. Yeah. yeah. So, I think to be fair, I'm a bit done with England as well. And I'm only 19. Yeah, it can be it, because I think it's an island as well. It, yeah. it can be very toxic, this country, if you're not careful. Yeah, there you go. Um, who uh, who wins the 2024 general election? Ooh. I really, I know the Tories will win again. Yeah, that's what, what I, I'd Connor, probably agree. No, I want, I'm going to revert that. What do you think? I, I, I agree with you. Well, it's hard to say, really, because it's in three years' time. So to be fair, that's a bit of a rubbish question. But um, I think if they're based on current events, I think the Tories are still going to win just for the sole uh, reason that Labour haven't provided a, a good enough opposition. Do you, what about Keith? I can never pronounce his name. Apologies. Kiefer. Kiefer Starmer. Keir, uh, Keir Starmer. Thank you. Keir yeah, Starmer. Yeah. Kiefer. Keir <laughs> Starmer. Why don't you think he's producing? He looks the part. And let's face it, most people just look at that. He looks the part. Mm. He's a human rights barrister, which is amazing. What's yeah. wrong with him? I want to ask you this because I'm not yeah. into this type of politics at the moment. I'm doing sort of uh, critical race theories. Why isn't he... Uh, winning people when I think he look he, he looks the part and he'd be a breath of fresh air because Boris is so so ignorant um I think the reasons are, are multifaceted really and I'll, I'll try and keep it short but um yeah. uh, I think he he lacks uh conviction in his own ideology I think he's he's trying to be a sort of new labor Tony Blair-esque figure and uh isn't really nailing that Tony Blair had uh, a clear set of uh, values and ideas, whether you agreed with them or disagreed with them, he had a clear set of values and ideas, and people ultimately subscribe to that. Keir Starmer uh, has is far too, uh, for want of a better phrase, wishy washy, uh, and he's he's not providing a strong enough opposition to the government, especially at the moment. Um, you know, largely he's voting with the government and supporting their legislation right. and things like that. So uh, that's not winning the hearts and minds of people because obviously he's he's the leader of the opposition and they're not opposing anything. That's the main right. issue. Um, okay. And also, I just think he doesn't really, he doesn't do, I like, you, you say he looks the part, and I get that yeah. to an extent, but yeah. he doesn't really, you know, signify any sort of big change. I think Labour would really benefit from perhaps having a female leader uh, and, really? someone, and someone from the North and someone from outside of London, I think is so important, you know, because I think it's, again, if Labour want to appeal to the votes that they lost in the North in 2019, then having. Well, I was going to say that. Yeah, having a barrister. Hot, sorry. No, yeah, having a barrister from London is not really going to uh, be able right. to appeal to these working class rural individuals who voted Brexit. But the Tor but they, but the working class, my, half my family went from Labour to Tory. We were that in the mm. north. So if if why do you think that when they swayed like year, decades of Labour vote to Tories? Why do you, um, so surely he? Um, the issue, the issue in twenty nineteen was do that. yeah. The issue in twenty nineteen was Brexit. At the end of the day, and uh, that was. You know, when where obviously Corbyn was was leader at that time of Labour, and uh, uh, yeah, so I, I Corbyn didn't have a. Uh, I love Corbyn's ideas. Approach. 
I think he had some he some yeah some appealing ideas. Um, a weak leader though. A weak leader, definitely. <laughs> so weak. Yeah, but like I say, <laughs> I, I, he just he just and again that was why I think partly they lost the 2019 election. He didn't mm. didn't outline a clear stance on Brexit. That was the main issue of the day. You couldn't even tell he was around. I know. <laughs> I know yeah. It's like I'd look on the TV and I just had a baby. So like you got to remember, Pete. I know we've got to wrap up, but people have no. got lives to lead. Yeah. And so you know you're having a baby and and you you sort the baby out and you need to hear kind of two years soundbite stuff yeah and every now and again i'd hear him do a speech i was like this is how i feel yeah yeah, yes, yeah utopia yeah. yes uh, bites and gone yes just like northern europe let's yeah, do like yeah, the yeah. northern europeans yeah I, but then i asked my white side the the um, of my family who'd felt labor for years yeah i said why have you gone to tory we're coal mining stark the white side and yeah. i won't mention who my family said it but they were like, he just makes my skin crawl. No, a lot of people did think and that. And I was like, yeah. really? They were like, we just don't like him. I said, but he's so kind. What he's saying is kindness and empathy. Mm. Um, and, the, and a lot of the older white women in my family were like, he just makes, and the working class white women, he just makes my skin crawl. We'd rather do the Tory thing. And that, which for me, was shocking. Yeah, it was. It was, it was so a... when you say about, like, looks the part, I guess it is really important. And I thought Starmer did that. I thought he yeah. would sway the people in that way. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he had the potential to, but ultimately, like I said, he's he's a he's a sir as well, which probably doesn't help the appealing yeah. to the working that, class. That appeals the, to me. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Darcy. There you go. <laughs> there you go. He's a bit sexy, isn't he? Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. We did, we did say that last week because we were discussing on the podcast about Keir Starmer and stuff. We were saying like, we were just comparing him to Tony Blair and Blair did like, got like torso of the week or something in some magazine. And we were saying maybe Keir Starmer needs to get his top off and he'll win a few more votes. I can imagine he would appeal to like middle class class women uh, yeah, Starmer. but probably. yeah you're right I mean his human rights background is incredible and, mm. and I, I am very surprised that he's not getting that I mean I'm out of the loop yeah. of that because of the PhD I'm surprised he's not swaying people because I want him because let's face it it's either Tory or Labour I, I personally I vote Green yeah. Party right okay yeah yeah <laughs> so I mean I would love them to get him but they're not going to a doubt no, so if no, I could yeah. choose it would be Labour so yeah, I'm surprised you think that they're not um, they're not going to get through but with that I think um, Tories will get through, unfortunately. I won't hopefully be living here by then for them yeah. to trash the country absolutely to its knees. The morale is very low here. And uh, I think they want people to just hate each other. So I think it's got to go lower. It's got to get deeper and darker. And then the, I think the people will have absolutely enough after another five or whatever years. And then eventually it'll do a turn. I, I think so, not, so. This, not this election, the next one, people will be so running to the ground by them and then it'll turn because Margaret Thatcher, they'd had enough by, by yeah, true, know, she true. really, she really ran people into the ground and yeah. then people turn. So it will yeah. happen, but not in three years. Yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'll be tempted to agree with you there. And um, yeah, the final, the final question yeah. um, is obviously this is the, the point of politics podcast. So uh, once the, <laughs> once the pubs uh, uh, and bars reopen next week, where is the first, bar you're going to what is the first the first pub that you'll be attending am i allowed to say it that Mm -hmm. adverts um i will be going with my son in didsbury to the exchange um for a massive glass of wine and a cigar even though i've been told i'm not allowed to smoke anymore by the doctor but i will have i love cigars my granddad loves smoked cigars on the jamaican side and i'll be having a massive gauntlet of wine and a cigar 
with um, with my son. He won't be smoking a cigar or drinking. I, I, I hope not. <laughs> uh, I'll just blow it in his face. Only joking. Okay? <laughs> Social services. I'm a good mom. Uh, uh, and I'll buy my son a vegan. Um, they do the best vegan hot dogs in Expose in Didsbury. Lovely. And also an, another place, um, I have to say this actually, is The Hatch on Oxford Road, really child-friendly. Um, it's open plan, like under Oxford Road Bridge, and I'll be going there because I used to take my son there on a Friday night until oh, 9 cool. o'clock. Yeah, it's got music and all sorts. Nice. So what about you, Connor? What are you going to uh, be doing? Where, wherever the first, yeah, wherever the only bar I can get into is, is probably going to be the best option. But um, because, yeah, I've got quite a few around here, but it's obviously quite a student area. So I was going to say uh, you're in a student area. It's gonna be, yeah, it's going to be quite uh, quite busy, I'd imagine. So, yeah, wherever wherever will have me. But I'll have my... my uh, my site's set on uh, Royal Park Pub, which is a, a nice little local one there. It's got a decent beer garden. So, uh, so yeah. Um, no, lovely. But thank you very much um, for that, Natasha. Really, really interesting conversation. Really, really good guest. Uh, thank you. I've no. really enjoyed it. And I'm sorry if I went, uh, if I go on them. I, it just shows how passionate I am. No, but, it's, um, it's so good. Yeah, I'm sorry if I... Uh, <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> We want we want passionate, you know, strong opinions on here, and that's exactly what you provided. So. But no, it was really good and, and great questions you're asking there. And and as I will say, without I don't want to sound condescending to any of the youth, I just have high high hopes for the youth now, because uh, my generation and above, we're just I have high hopes for the youth to change the world with the environment and and also uh, protecting in, in indigenous land. And, and all this stuff and and you guys you're speaking the right language to it to a freer healthier planet to be honest um yeah. you know so it's brilliant that you do these podcasts and, and you're so young it's fantastic because you guys are you've inherited a lot of shit and um um but the millennials and you guys are making the right um, moves and i'm doing it i'm doing the best i can too to uh try and turn it around to create a, a healthier planet mentally and you know how it is literally yeah yeah definitely so, you know, thank so you so much no no problem at all um so yeah i'll wrap it up there um yeah. thank you uh to everyone who was uh who was listening uh really appreciate uh everyone who's been supporting the podcast uh liking following sharing please continue to do the same uh with this episode it's uh gonna be a really interesting one i think obviously a bit more of a serious conversation but it's nice to have uh those kind of things uh, every now and then because there are uh, big important issues uh, in the world that, that that warrant discussion so um yeah feel free to get involved with our social media we are at a pint of politics on twitter and instagram uh pint of politics on facebook and linkedin and then we've got a blog uh, as well www.pintofpoliticsworpress.com um but yeah so we'll be back uh, later in this week um for an episode we'll have sam and joel for that one uh, as well so that'll be a bit more of a, a light-hearted us talking shit episode um so uh, yeah look forward to that um but thank you once again to our guest and thank you to the listeners for listening thank you very much mm-hmm.